Everybody's agreeing with me. We believe you for the awesome power of your word. I ask you tonight to increase the anointing and the glory. Um, Sandy, yeah, just hold on to that stuff. I'll tell you here in a moment. But Lord, we ask you let there be a new level, let a fresh anointing come on this word. Let there be such a thick presence of God, such an anointing on this word. Lord, as it goes out, Lord, I pray every person that hear this be able to give you their best ear and their attention because the awesome power of the Holy Spirit enables us to have eyes of the Spirit, ears of the Spirit, to be able to get our minds locked into what God is saying and not be distracted by other things and be able to tune in to the Lord, the voice of the Lord. So let your Holy Spirit just captivate us right now and help us to give you our best ear and full attention, Lord, to get totally focused. And as we're enveloped in this, this anointing, this glory, I pray, Lord, your word will go out as living seeds of truth sown in a good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives all over the world. Watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. Let your word go out, Lord, as a washing of the water of the word and a purifying fire. Lord, let it go out as a hammer that breaks down every stronghold, every deception, even the hardness around people. To break that down, break down the hardness around people's hearts. And uh, a sword that cuts away what needs to go. The awesome power of your word. In Jesus' name, anoint this time. Speak through me. Let everything be accomplished that your will to be done. In Jesus' name, we bind the enemy that would try to steal the seed. Anything that would try to hinder this word from going where it's supposed to do and accomplish that which it's supposed to accomplish, we bind that, break its power, command it to go now. And we thank you, Lord, for the wind of your spirit carrying this everywhere it's supposed to go and your holy angels watching over the word of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're speaking about the power of Pentecost. Yeah, I love it. So let me go ahead and jump into this. Um, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest, remotest parts of the earth. It's a different translation I'm used to. But to the furthest places, to the, um, what's some other translations? Y'all help me. Ends of the earth. That's what I was looking for. Thank you, Brother Zach. <laughs> that threw me there. All right. And Luke 24, 49, behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my father upon you that you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power. That is the, the clothing of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, when we accept Christ as our savior, I'm gonna move through this quickly, guys. So y'all give me your best ear because I wanna have a, a good altar time. When we receive Christ as our savior and we're born again, we, we sincerely accept him and there's a new birth. What happens is, is that the Holy Spirit he comes to live in you, and he changes you. The Bible says the old things pass away. The, you know, you come into the new. You're a new creature in Christ. You're born again. The light of the lamp of God is lit within you. You have a new DNA. As a matter of fact, you'll never be the same if it's real. You'll never be able to feel really comfortable with sin. Um, you're just different. You're a different person. But that's a different event than being baptized in the Holy Spirit, even though they could happen together you know if you accept christ and then you're baptized in the holy spirit it could all happen in one night i've seen people accept christ as their savior um get hit by the power of god get healed of something you know get baptized in the holy spirit and a bunch of stuff happened in one service and they left there just blown away you know i have seen that happen but when you're baptized in the holy spirit what happens is is not only is the holy spirit living in you and giving you a new uh dna a new uh a new desires and he's changed you on the inside but also now the holy spirit fills you to overflowing and you're clothed with power everybody say clothed with power, clothed with power. <clears throat> you may not see it but those that have been baptized in the holy spirit 
you do have a clothing of the power of God on your life, okay? I believe with all my heart, there's always more of the Lord than where we're at. There's always an increase of anointing. Y'all remember this? You'll never, you're never gonna get to the place where you say, well, I have arrived. I've got everything that there is of God, and that's not gonna happen, friend. There's always more. And so, you know, the rest of your life, press into the more. Be hungry for more of him. But there's a fresh anointing for today. I thank God many years ago, I was ministering at a home for uh, troubled teens, and I remember that God sent me there. I honestly didn't want to go at first, and I had my reasons for that. I'm not going to get into all that. But the Lord told me to go anyway, and when I went, the power of God fell. And I remember all these young people, and this was like 80 or more, and there was also a lot of adults that worked there, and the Lord just sent me there. It was just an assignment, and when I went, the Spirit of God fell, and the whole time I ministered there, it was the same thing. And I saw all those people, they came from every type of background out of witchcraft and drugs and gangs, and they're from every type of background. You know, you had Hispanic, you had black, you had the whites, you had, you had all kinds of, some of them came from Catholic or Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Baptist. Everything you could imagine was there. And just preaching the word of the Lord, people coming down and getting saved, praying with people. But I remember the power of God being so strong and seeing these young people, and the leaders, all, everybody, hit by the power of God. Some of them falling out, speaking in tongues, shaking under the power. Some of them demons were leaving people, manifesting and leaving people. Healings were breaking out. People coming up to me telling me they had some physical problem that disappeared and just the power of God. And I thank God for what he did. But you know what? That was a few years back. And I'm hungry for more of God now. Amen. I'm hungry for a move of God now and to see greater things. Okay. I'm not going to park there and start talking about that the rest of my life. I thank God for it. But there's more. Okay. And so the clothing of power, the fresh anointing, there's, I believe, Catherine Coleman said this. You can take this for however you want to take it. I believe it. She said, before every crusade, the Lord baptized her in the Holy Spirit fresh. Okay? I believe that that is available to us, and I've, I have felt that that has happened to me at times as well. But there's more. There's more. Amen? But we've got to be hungry for the more. So the early church, Jesus had risen from the dead. He appeared to them. They obviously believed they saw him. And so he blew on them and said, receive the spirit. I believe that was their born again experience. But he told them, go wait in Jerusalem till you're clothed with power. Why? Because he knew that they needed that clothing of power to be able to have the boldness and to be able to have the, the anointing, the power in their life to do what Jesus did. There's no way without the power of the Holy Spirit that uh, Peter's shadow would have healed the sick. There's no way. They would have not been able to see that crippled man healed all the things you read about where Paul would go places that none of that would have happened without the power of the Holy Spirit to make it available to them. And so let me tell you, the Bible says in Corinthians, it talks about the, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. I thank God for both, and I'm going to talk about it tonight. But, you know, there's people that become very astute in the word of God. They learn the word, but they're powerless. You hear what I'm saying? You can know all the word and still be a powerless, dead, dried up Christian that, you know, there's no boldness. There's no anointing to pray for the sick. There's no anointing to drive out demons. There's, you know, it's just a dry thing. And I'm hungry for not just his word, but his presence in my life. So Acts 2, 1, Jesus told him, go wait in Jerusalem. So they had to wait 10 days. Jesus ascended. They saw Jesus float up. How many of you guys would like to have been there? 
You watch Jesus just floating up, and he keeps going, he keeps going, and then all of a sudden there's a cloud, and he's gone in the cloud, you know. And there was these angels that were there that said, why do you guys keep looking up in the sky? They said the same Jesus that just left is going to come back the same as he left. So in other words, his feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives where he ascended from. All right, that's another story for another day. So Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing them amongst themselves and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And this, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, when, now that's, that's awesome right there. How many of you guys would love to have been there and seen that? Let me tell you, God has it for us today. You know, there was a great revival. Tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit pretty much had been stolen from the church. But around 1900 in Topeka, Kansas, there was a man by the name of Charles Parham, and they had a little Bible school there, and he began to believe that there was truly a baptism of the Holy Spirit for today. And they began to pray. And it was right at December the 31st, okay, right at the turn of the year, the Holy Spirit fell. I don't remember the lady's name, but she was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that began something. And that little, little revival in Topeka, Kansas that broke out, eventually Charles Parham moved to Houston, had a Bible school there. Now, here's where it really gets awesome. A man by the name of William Seymour, a one-eyed black man, he lost one eye from polio. He was a, a son of a slave. He went to Houston, and back then they had segregation laws, but he was so hungry for God that he was willing to sit in the hallway just so he could hear Parham talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, I'm trying to encourage people today and challenge you and hopefully maybe even convict you. Are you really that hungry? People say, well, I'm hungry. Yeah. I've seen real hunger, and I've experienced real hunger. I don't think sometimes people are as hungry as what they think they are. Seymour was so hungry for God. He was willing to go somewhere where it was somewhat humiliating because he wasn't even welcome in the class to sit in a hallway just so he could hear somebody talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because he was so desperate for God, so hungry that he would go there like that. And so Seymour heard about it, but he didn't experience it yet. So he goes now. He feels drawn to Los Angeles. He moves there. He takes a little church. He opens the Bible and reads just what I read to you. A rushing mighty wind, baptism of the Holy Spirit, tongues, fire. And the people had a little mini riot and threw him out and said, we don't want any of that. And locked him out of the church. <laughs> and so Seymour felt discouraged, but as he left, there were some people in Los Angeles that God had already moved upon them. And in their apartments, they were really, truly praying for revival. There was a man by the name of Frank Bartleman and some other people, they were really praying and somebody grabbed Seymour and took him. He ended up on Bonnie Bray, Bonnie Bray Street in this little house of about a dozen um, African-American people. And they began to pray. Listen to this. Seymour was so hungry for revival that he was praying like five to seven hours a day for God to come. Bartleman was praying so hard that people worried about him. He wasn't eating. He was so desperate for God to come. That's real hunger. And God heard Seymour's prayer, the power of God fell. Now see, Satan had kind of stolen the baptism of the Holy Spirit all those years. But in 1900, it started up again with Parham. But now, 
the great Azusa Street Revival. Broke out, I believe, what was it, 1904, five, somewhere in 1905, I believe. The Holy Spirit fell on Bonnie, Bonnie Bray Street, and they had to rent this Azusa Mission. And it was so powerful, guys, that people, I'm saying all this because I want you to, to have something imparted to you of a hunger tonight. But people that weren't even Christian people would call the fire department sometimes because they literally saw a fire over Azusa Street Mission. And the fire department would get there. There was no fire. It was a spiritual fire. There was angels ascending and descending in that place all the time resident inside that church there, that mission, was a, a little haze of the cloud, so to speak, on the floor. You could go in. How many of you guys have ever seen a fog machine? You saw like there'd be like this little cloud there on the ground like this. All right. The glory of God was there manifest in that place like that. And they said that whenever Seymour would say, let's worship, all they had was a little piano. And I mean, you got to understand, God doesn't need fancy buildings and stuff. He just needs people that are hungry for him. Because you know what the benches were? They had those old wooden kegs, and they'd put two-by-fours on them and nail them together. That was their benches. Come on. And the mission used to be a stable. They had to go in there and shovel out all the horse poo. Okay, this was their building, their church. And the glory of God was so strong in there, they had that little piano they say whenever he would start playing that piano, it sounded, as they started singing, it sounded like there were several other pianos and several other voices that joined in. It was so anointed. And they would worship and sing in tongues. And as they did, that cloud that was on the floor would begin to rise and it would fill that place. And people said they'd fall out under the power and that cloud would envelop them and they'd be there for who knows how long. And people came in there sick and left completely healed just from being in the glory amazing miracles people come in and they'd have growths on them they'd just fall off people come in that were totally completely blind and they'd be healed so the lord restored back pentecost to the body of christ and there was a prophecy at that time around 1910 william seymour and someone else prophesied that in around a hundred years that there would be a revival that would break out and it would be like a Susa, but it would be greater and it would not be confined to one location. And so, I believe with all my heart that that began, it had its beginning in Pensacola, that great revival there. They had similar manifestations. You could see the glory in the ceiling. It was, if you ever went, it was unbelievable, the presence of God, unbelievable. And that was like another Azusa, but that's where it started. But the prophecy about Brownsville was it would spread to the whole nation. And that hadn't happened yet. And we're ready to see it happen. All right, so Peter on the day of Pentecost, they're filled with the Spirit. They're speaking in other tongues. I would imagine that hit them so hard they probably did look a little drunk in the Spirit because I've had that happen where you're kind of staggering and stuff. And so some of the people looking on were laughing, saying, oh, they're just drunk with wine. You know, Peter got up and started preaching to them, and he told them, you know, we're not drunk with wine. It's like 9 in the morning. You know, who gets drunk at 9 in the morning? But he was telling them, this is the Holy Spirit. And after he preached this sermon to them, you look in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it says, when they heard Peter's sermon, okay, they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, brothers, what do we do? And Peter said to them, repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. With many other words, he solemnly testified to them and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those that have received the word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. <coughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. The power of God fell. 3,000 people get saved. It's an awesome revival. Now I'm going to explain this as I go. I got a few illustrations here tonight, okay? So from Passover to Pentecost, <coughs> you guys remember we just celebrated Passover? about 50 days ago, right? And it's also, they call Passover unleavened bread really the same thing. I mean, it's all run together. But Passover is a time of really deeply consecrating yourself to God. Passover was a time at the Passover Seder where Jesus, you know, instituted Holy Communion, but it was a time where the disciples were really deeply consecrated unto God and Jesus had washed their, their feet, remember, with the water. There was a cleansing. And Jesus was preparing them for this awesome outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So this year during the Passover time, we, we as a church began to pray and fast. For 40 days, we sought God for a deep consecration. Because, you know, purging the yeast out of your home, you know, that's fine. But really what the Lord is looking for is that the sin, yeast speaks of sin, the Lord's looking that the sin is purged out. That's really what he's looking at. Because somebody can get all the yeast out of their house and still be a heathen. Amen? <clears throat> That's just religion. So the Lord wanted to get all that junk. And so as we prayed and we fasted and we sought God um, up until that time at Passover and deeply consecrated ourselves, we had a church-wide baptism that was available. And a lot of people came, just wanted to consecrate themselves. Even though they'd been baptized before, they wanted to get rebaptized. They wanted to consecrate their lives. So it was a time of prayer and fasting, um, taking communion together, anointing people with oil. We did that. Immersing people in water and consecrating ourselves. That's to me, is what Passover is really about, is getting the yeast out. It's really consecrating yourself to God. Now, we know I'm going to go real fast. Jesus... He had that Passover service, a ceremony with his uh, disciples on Tuesday night. He was in the tomb for three days, and he raised from the dead. And the Bible says that the, the first fruits is supposed to be the day after Shabbat, after the Sabbath. So that would be Saturday night to Sunday night. And so right as Saturday night comes, all of a sudden now on the, the feast of first fruit, Jesus is raised from the dead. Isn't that awesome? All right, so the Feast of First Fruit ends the, uh, you know, it's Passover Unleavened Bread First Fruit. It ends that. And what they do is they start a process called counting the Omer. This is kind of a funny name, but counting the Omer is a sheaf. And so the very first day of First Fruits, they bring in this sheaf of barley. It's still kind of green. And they take it and they hold it up to God and they wave it before Him. And it's the First Fruits. That's the first day of first fruits and the first counting of the omer. That's the sheaf is the omer, okay? So then they have to do that for 50 days. So it begins the countdown. Every day after that in the temple, they're supposed to take a sheaf called an omer and wave it before God, and they were counting the omer all the way to Pentecost. So this was going on during this time. During the period of 50 days known as counting the omer, Jesus appeared to his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And I want to read this story. You guys ready? Luke 24. 
And it says, Behold, two of them, talking about some disciples of Jesus, were going that very, very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking to each other about all these things which had taken place. Because they saw Jesus, and they saw him die on the cross. And while they were talking and discussing it, Jesus himself approached and began to travel with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him, and they said to him, What are these words that you are exchanging one to another as you're walking and talking here? And, and they stood still looking sad, and one of them said, his name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you only visiting Jerusalem? Are you unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said, Jesus said, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet he was mighty indeed and in word in sight of god and all the people and let me just stop there he was mighty indeed and word okay in other words he knew the word of god and he preached the word of god with great power he knew the word he's the living word but also he was mighty indeed meaning he operated under the power of god acts 10 38 says at best how god anointed jesus of nazareth with the holy spirit and with power and he went around doing good healing all oppressed of the devil so jesus was mighty indeed he was mighty in the anointing to see people healed and delivered okay and how the chief priest and rulers delivered him to a sentence of death and crucified him but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem israel indeed besides all this it is the third day since these things have happened <laughs> so this is right as jesus raised from the dead this is the third day okay and listen these guys are sitting there saying amongst themselves they're depressed and they're saying man we thought he was going to be the redeemer how many times was jesus with them and told them the son of man must go to jerusalem and suffer many things he will be he will be killed he will be buried and he will be raised he told them this over and over but still they didn't really grasp it verse 22 also they they're telling this, this is so funny to me because they're telling Jesus all of the problems about Jesus. Well, Jesus died and all this stuff, and they're telling him, you know. But also some of the women among us amazed us because they were talking about that morning. They went to the tomb early and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb <clears throat> and found it exactly as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men. Now listen, here's Jesus responding to this. O foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then to enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all scripture. And they approached the village where they were going and he acted as though he were going to go farther but they urged him saying stay with us for it's getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over so he went to stay with them and when he reclined at the table with them he took the bread and blessed it breaking it he gave it to them now listen this is important that you see this jesus broke that bread he blessed it broken it, and gave it to him when they ate the bread and it says their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight and they said to one another were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those that were with them, saying, The Lord really has risen. He's appeared to Simon. And they began to relate the, their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. He was recognized by them 
by the breaking of the bread. Is anybody else getting this? So during that time, can you bring me a piece of matzah real quick? I'm going to do some illustration. During that time, this is Passover, guys. All of Israel was required to get all the yeast out and burn it. They didn't have any leavened bread. All they had was matzah. And so whenever Jesus, well, I meant a big one, but that's okay. This will work. I can maybe eat it if I'm hungry, you know. But Jesus, well, I meant a big one for an illustration, but this will work. So Jesus took a piece of bread, and it's this unleavened bread, has no leaven in it, okay? And he took that, and here he was talking with these people, and he's telling them all about himself. And the Bible says he held this bread up, and he blessed it, and then he broke it, and he gave it to them. And whenever they ate it, their eyes were open, and they could see Jesus. They could not see him before. This is interesting to me. It's interesting to me that this would represent, obviously to me it would represent Holy Communion, but that something, there was a power about this that caused them to be able to see Jesus in a way they could not see him before. Something about their vision was opened spiritually. All right, thank you. So now we're moving past Passover and we're going toward Pentecost. As God's people had prepared themselves, they were consecrated, they were ready to receive. How many are ready to receive tonight? And, you know, in the days to come, I want a wonderful service tonight, but I don't want it to just be tonight. I want something new coming into this ministry that will abide, okay? So the Commonwealth of Israel, Ephesians 2.11. Let me just read this to you. If you can really get this, and me using illustrations, I think will help. But it says, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. So it's interesting, Paul's kind of downplaying that a little bit right now, isn't he? He's saying, look, you are called the uncircumcision by those of the circumcision, but... Their circumcision is only done by men in the flesh, meaning that it doesn't have value now in Christ as far as salvation goes, okay? Verse 12, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one. I'm going somewhere with this because I've got two loaves here tonight. I'm going to show you what they do in the temple at Pentecost. But he said that they made the two, the Jew and the Gentile, one in Christ Jesus. It says it broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man. You know, I love, you know, Sid Roth's heart about this, you know, the one new man, believing the two to come together in Christ. Thus establishing peace, and he might reconcile them both, Jew and Gentile, in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. See, the law is what separated you and Gentile, but Christ took the law in his flesh, okay? And so now he's saying that now 
There's no distinction. Jew and Gentile in Christ, which I'll show you that here in just a moment. All right. Did you know now in Jesus Christ, because of the blood of Jesus, that every person, Jew and Gentile, okay, as you come into Christ, that every single blessing that goes back to Abraham goes back to um, you know what was promised through the blessings of uh, that was given under the law if you obey my word these blessings will come upon you all these blessings all these promises the commonwealth of Israel all of that is available in Christ and that when you come into Christ that you are being engrafted into that olive tree all of that is available now I want to show you something if you could bring me that prayer shawl I'm going to use an illustration here So in Christ, I'm going to have to get my daughter and my wife to help me here in just a moment. Let's picture tonight that I'm going to re represent Jesus. Now, Jesus would have wore a prayer shawl to lead, okay? All right, guys, I'm going to use both of these. So my wife, come here. My daughter, come here. We're going to do an illustration. I want Brianna here. All right, now Brianna's going to represent. Well, let's start this way. My wife's going to represent. Is I've, I've really got to make up for Passover because, remember? Because it was at, at Passover, she said to my left, which was where Judas sat, remember? And she kind of slapped me when I said that. But all right, so I got to make up for this. But anyway, in this scenario, I'm representing um, Jesus for a moment here, okay? But my wife's going to represent, if you could please follow me, my wife's going to represent Israel. She's going to represent the Jewish people that accepted Christ as their Savior. Okay? So she's the Christian Jewish people that have accepted Christ. Now, Brianna's representing the Gentiles that have accepted Christ. Now, the Jewish people that renounced Christ and would not accept him, they were cut off from the commonwealth of Israel. It says that. They were cut off. And so they were cast down away. And unfortunately, with their sins retained and they're in hell today. But where those branches were cut off, the Lord took wild olive branches, the Gentiles, and brought them into Christ. Okay? So now, let me see if I can do this. I got very little room here. All right? Here we go. Yes. So now in Christ, both Jew and Gentile. It's hooked on something. There it is, down below the bottom. Thank you. There you go. All right, now both Jew and Gentile. Now, you guys got to get in here like you actually like me. Because No, turn toward me. The reason why is because they can't see you no more. Turn, turn, Brianna. There you go. All right, so now. I could, I could really stomp on their foot or something right now and mess with them. But anyway, so now you guys can't tell where you're at if one of these was a Jew or Gentile, can you? No. All you can see you can see my face and my figure see here's the thing whenever jew and gentile come into christ if you can get this when you come into jesus christ this is how god the father sees the jew and gentile in christ they just simply see that they're in christ that's it they don't the lord the father does not see a distinction between them any longer whatsoever okay so does that make sense tonight guys all right y'all did good I mess up your hair? Yeah. yeah, that's all right. You'll be all right. <laughs> Just forgive me. All right, thank you. 
Yeah, I have to watch out for my hair too, you know. But anyway, so there's some that have a Jewish persuasion that feel superior. That's pride and arrogance, and they're no better than any Gentile. When you come into Christ, God the Father does not see a distinction anymore. He doesn't. He sees people that are in Christ. See, when I had that prayer shawl wrapped around Sandy and Brianna, you honestly, if I could wrap that thing properly and it was long enough, you would not be able to tell if they were male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And that's exactly what Paul said. He said, in Christ, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free. We're all one in Christ. Right? Amen? So my point in that is, is that now both Jew and Gentile have been brought into Christ. And in Christ, we have tapped into the commonwealth of Israel. All the blessings, everything that was initiated with Abraham is available to us today in Christ. All of them. All right. So 50 days after, Pente- after Passover comes Pentecost. Let me give you a few quick things here. It was three times a year that it was mandatory that all the Jewish men would have to come to Jerusalem. They had to come at Passover. Can you imagine because Jerusalem is small? Can you imagine having those millions of people in that confined space and they're all bringing a lamb mind you and they're all coming and it would be so crowded but see God the Father in his incredible wisdom knew from the beginning that Jesus Christ was to come he's the Messiah he was to come and die on Passover day on that day and so he wanted everybody there for that but it was also mandatory that all of the Jewish men come to Jerusalem at Pentecost. And the Lord knew as well that he was going to pour out his spirit on that day, the day of Pentecost, that his spirit would be poured out and it would be a great sign and a great wonder and he wanted everybody there for that event as well. I'm just going to give you some quick points about this. And I got one more illustration. You got my two loaves of bread ready. You say, I'm ready. All right. They're ready. She's got it. So here's where it all started. I'm going to move quickly, so follow me. The first Pentecost, the Jewish people call it Shavuot, which is uh, the Feast of Weeks. Okay, same, same thing. Shavuot, Pentecost, just two different names. So anyway, they went to Mount Sinai, and they had already been inside of Egypt where they... They had Passover. They were consecrated by the blood. They went through the waters of baptism through the Red Sea. They were consecrated. And so now they go, and they're supposed to go to Mount Sinai. God appears to them there. You can only imagine how scared they were. God comes down on the top of that mountain. There's literally earthquaking going on. They're shaking. The, there's fire. There's smoke. Um, I'm sure there's wind whipping around, the loud voice. They heard the voice of God. It was so loud that it sounded like a shofar blast in their face. In fact, it said that the sound was so loud that they saw the sound. How do you see sound? Anyway, it it was just this loud and intimidating thing. But yet at this time, Moses killed an animal, shed the blood, and he sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice on them. So they had these little droplets of blood on them. 
And he told them, God's coming down. He's going to appear to us. He's going to speak to us. You need to consecrate yourself. Go, and they had to go wash with water. So again, you see, they did this in Egypt. The blood was applied. They were washed in the waters of baptism at the Red Sea. But once again here, the blood's applied fresh, and they're washed again. They're consecrating themselves because they're going to meet with God. And here's the amazing part of this story. God took Moses and, and some of the leaders of Israel, and they were able because the blood was sprinkled on them, they were able to go up that mountain into God's manifest presence. And the Bible says they saw God, they ate and drank, and they did not die. You know why they didn't die? Because the blood gave them access. If they didn't have that blood on them, the ones that didn't, I'm sure they would have died. So the blood brought them up there. Now, this was the place where Moses received the law. And so he comes down, for example, those men went back down. Moses stayed up there with God. He receives the law. And amongst the law, remember, God had written on those two tablets, the Ten Commandments. How many of you guys have at least seen a movie or something where there was somebody portraying Charlton Heston or whatever, somebody portraying Moses coming down with the Ten Commandments? Remember that? This all happened in Mount Sinai. So this is the first, this is where we celebrate anyway, the first Pentecost that God's word a covenant was made and his word was brought into the earth. And then we know after Jesus died on the day of Pentecost, I just read you the story. Not only was the word of God already brought into the earth on Pentecost, but now the Holy Spirit of God was released into the earth in an awesome way. So you have Pentecost, you have the celebration of God's word and the celebration of the power of the Holy Spirit together and we need both amen if some people just have the move of god just the the move of the holy spirit but they don't have the word of god they're going to get flaky and weird and goofy but if they just have the word of god and they don't have the move of the holy spirit also then they're going to be dry and crusty amen religious and i believe that the mount of transfiguration Whenever Peter, James, and John went up that mountain and Moses and Elijah appeared and Jesus was transfigured before them, I believe that that experience was also something kind of symbolic about what happened at Sinai. So now, at the first Pentecost, the law was given, but now, at the second Pentecost, the law of God is written into the tables of our hearts. At the first Pentecost Moses received instruction about the tabernacle but at the second Pentecost now we are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit has come to live in us and be with us when Jesus died on the cross the veil was already ripped so at the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit the veil was already ripped that separated the Spirit of God from people anyway and so now it's like the Spirit of God whew, came in that place in an awesome way. Um, also about the tabernacle, this is interesting. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, there was tongues of fire over all their heads. And if you look at a picture of a tabernacle, the tabernacle Moses have one over there, there was always a pillar of fire at night over that. And see, God was saying that little tongue of fire, that little pillar of fire, he was saying that now you are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. All right, can you bring me those loaves of bread? 
<laughs> I'll leave them wrapped. It'd be a lot easier. I was going to unwrap them here. Oh, you going to do that? I thought she was going to chunk it at me. All right. Anybody hungry? Or you just going to have to wait? I got to use this illustration first, and then you can have it. All right. So, at the temple at Pentecost, the priest... Now, at Passover, remember, they, had the, they celebrated the barley harvest. And well, now Pentecost comes. Now they're celebrating the wheat harvest. And so they would have somebody cut a first fruits of wheat, and they would bring that to the temple, and the priest would hold up the wheat, and he would wave it. It's called a wave offering. And also, there had to be a lamb sacrificed. So they had a lamb. But this was what's interesting to me about this. First off, remember at Passover, Jesus had that matzah bread was there and they were using that in the Passover. But also remember on the road to Emmaus, all they had there was that unleavened bread. That's all they had. But yet 50 days later, God commanded that those, um, the priesthood, they had to bake two loaves with leaven in it. And they had to wave it at the temple. It was in the law. It's, it's kind of funny because some people don't know the Bible think the very first Pentecost happened in Acts chapter 2. But in actual fact, they've been celebrating Pentecost for 1,500 years before that. And so for 1,500 years before, every Pentecost, the priest would have, somebody would bake two loaves with leaven in it. It had to have leaven. It was very specific. And he would have to hold it up and do a wave offering unto God. And this is what's interesting to me. This is how they would do these wave offerings. They called it a heave offering. So they would take it and they would go up like this with it before God, like a heaving of it before him, you know. And then they had a wave offering where they would go side to side. So anybody with any common sense, what is this, what symbol is this making right here? Going up and side to side. And so at Pentecost, you have a lamb sitting here and them making a symbol with these two loaves which are significant making a symbol of the cross saying that the lamb of god would be on the cross one day and they did that for 1500 years so why in the world did god tell them because they had just went through all this trouble let me tell you it had to be a lot of trouble the whole nation to get all the yeast out of their homes out of their lives burn it i mean they worked so hard and then 50 days later god says now you bake two loaves and you make sure that you got a lot of the yeast and leaven in these loaves, okay? They've got to have leaven in them. So why did God do that? I believe that it speaks of this, that in Christ, both the Jew and the Gentile are both full of sin, amen? But in Jesus Christ, they would be brought together at the cross. That's what it represents. Now hide that before these hungry people attack you. <laughs> it looks good, doesn't it? So, it's the book of Ruth. Here's another interesting thing at Pentecost. To this day, among the Jewish people, the book of Ruth is read. And, you know, there's, there's two things that rabbis have tried to figure out among the Jewish people. They've tried to figure out why the two loaves. We know it's because of Christ, okay? They, they may not see that. But they've also tried to figure out why in the world the book of Ruth is read at Pentecost because it, do, it doesn't seem to have anything to do with Pentecost. 
but yet it does. It has to do with those two loaves. See, Naomi represents Israel, and Ruth represents the Gentile Christian. And they both came together to Boaz. You see what I'm saying? They were brought together to Boaz. And so it's a symbol. And I'll tell you something else about the book of Ruth for those that are familiar with it. You ought to read it if you haven't. But Naomi represents Israel, but she was bitter by the difficulties of life that she had been through, just like the Jewish people are today. But yet Ruth, being a Gentile, told Naomi, regardless of all the, the, the hell on earth you've been through, all the difficulty, all the pain, all the loss that you've been through, your God is still going to be my God. Your people still my people. And I'm still going to befriend you and be loyal to you. And I believe the Lord is wanting us today that the Christian church would be that same way toward Israel. Amen? Befriend them and love them and pray for them. All right. So a couple more quick things. The golden calf. Whenever Israel... At the first Pentecost, Moses came down because God told him these people are dancing, you know, around the golden calf. And so Moses came down infuriated, lost his temper, broke the tablets of stone that God had wrote with his own finger and made that, remember, he ground up the calf and had a temper tantrum, basically. But 3,000 people perished that day. Isn't it interesting that at Pentecost, 1,500 years later, that 3,000 people were saved. I'm sure that's just a coincidence, right? All right, so let's move on. Last couple things. The book of Acts, Christianity. Here's what I see as I read the book of Acts. I see that the early church was dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to do what Jesus did. You know what grieves me today is that people feel like that they can do it themselves their own ingenuity, their own creative ideas, their own programs, their own whatever, it's not going to get the job done. It's only going to be by the power of God that there's true fruit. You know, if people are going to church because of the entertainment that's there or whatever reason, they're not being changed. How many knows that entertainment, as good as the latte is, and I like coffee, as good as the latte is, okay, <clears throat> the drama, the awesome music, the decor, that none of that, you, you know it and I know it, that none of that is really going to change somebody. So what is going to change them? The power of God's true word and the awesome power of his spirit to change people. That's it. And that's what Pentecost is all about. The power of God's word and his spirit coming to change people. So we need to be active about doing what we're doing. We need to be active about soul winning, being busy about the kingdom. But there also needs to be a tarrying for revival at the same time. Can everybody grab hold of what I'm saying right now? We're to be busy doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're going to keep witnessing. We're going to keep discipling. We're going to keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. But there's still a tarrying for revival, though. Even though we're being faithful stewards with everything we're supposed to be doing, there's still a cry in our heart. And there's still prayer meetings devoted to God, come down, send a move of your spirit, send a revival. Because we know that it's only by the move of God that we're really going to see radical change. Not only in individuals, but mass groups of people coming to salvation. And even though I've shared some of this many times, I don't know if everybody's heard this, but just give you one quick example, Duncan Campbell. He was awakened at 3 in the morning. They said, you've got to come to the church. The Spirit of God, 
they had prayed and sought God on the Isle of Hebrides for revival. Just a few people. And the Spirit of God fell. They come and wake up Duncan Campbell, one, one of the revival stories. You got to come to this church. All these people, it was a packed church. And Duncan Campbell was like three in the morning. It was dark out. He could not understand why in the world are all these people in church at three in the morning in their PJs. And, and then he noticed that they're all heathen. And he could not, and somebody started explaining to him, they said, Brother Campbell, we don't know what happened, but all we know is that all of a sudden something came into our neighborhood and we all felt like we were going to die and go straight to hell right now. And we woke up out of a dead sleep, wandered out of our houses. Other people were wandering out of their houses. We all felt like we were in a terrible state. We needed help. And he said, the only thing we, need to do, we knew to do was go toward the church. And so that's why we're here. And Brother Campbell said, all right. So he, pre he preached the gospel, and all those people gave their life to Jesus. Now listen, only God can do that. You can go through that neighborhood over and over with your little pamphlets and you're talking to people and you might see one or two people get saved. You know, we're going to be faithful. You see what I'm saying? But when God comes down like that, everybody gets saved. And it's a God thing. It's a true conviction of the Spirit of God where they realize that I am in a terrible state. I need God desperately. And they, they pursue him. God comes upon them like that. That's what we need in America. So the Holy Spirit, he's a person, not a dove. I'm just going to read through a few things. How many knows that Jesus is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah? Is Jesus a physical lion or is he a man? He's a man. All right, so the dove is, you know, we, the dove is kind of symbolic of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is a person, not a bird. And when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in bodily form, bodily form is used also in the Greek to describe, uh, Paul said that, um, bodily exercise is not that beneficial. Remember that scripture we talking about bodily. So bodily form is not even really talking about a dove. Um, I believe that what John saw is John the Baptist is the one that saw this. He saw the Holy Spirit coming down in bodily form, like a, a regular form, but settled gently upon Jesus like a dove would and clothe him in power. But that's just my opinion about that. But I feel that's the way it was. But too many people think of the Holy Spirit as like a dove, like he's not a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Okay. And Paul said to follow me as I follow Christ. And we see that just encourage people about this. But Paul kept Passover, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8. And in Acts 20, verse 16, he kept Pentecost. He cut his missionary journey short to go back to Jerusalem so that he could be there for Pentecost. So Paul kept the feast. I believe that it's significant to keep the feast. There's, there's something about it, in my opinion. Also, um, a few more quick things about the early church. Did you know that it was 15 years from the time Jesus left till Cornelius' house where the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles? 15 years. Does anybody realize how long 15 years really is? Okay, from the time you're born till the time you drive a car is approximately around 15 years. That's how long that the church was just there in Jerusalem among the Jewish people. I believe that the reason God allowed that was so that they could get established. It's important that, that churches are able to get established before it starts really growing and expanding. And I also believe that the Lord allowed it for that long so that the Hebrew roots of the faith could be understood. They needed time to understand 
how Jesus fulfilled all of this and, and kind of formulate their doctrine and to, to really get the Hebrew roots of the faith established so that when the Gentiles came in, they would come into something that was already ready. Hopefully I'm explaining that well. Does that make sense to everybody? All right. So I believe there's got to be this preparation time, guys. It, you can't just start something, then it just explode with all these people coming in without there being some kind of a nucleus and some kind of a foundation. Here's some other things I see in the early church as well. Purity and holy living. There wasn't, listen, when they accepted Christ as their Savior, they didn't all of a sudden feel like, hey, you know what? I'm going to go out now and start getting drunk and... Uh, even though the law says not to do these things, I'm going to go do these things because I'm free to do them now. And there wasn't any of that garbage. These people were living holy and pure, and they wanted to live holy and pure and continue in that. So holy living, righteous living, purity. They didn't have this false doctrine garbage about, you know, you're free to live in sin stuff. That, that's horrible. And people that are doing that are going to be in hell one day. All right, emphasis on making God's house a house of prayer. The early church was very much about God's house being a house of prayer. They were also big on the unity among the brethren. They were in one accord. There was unity and prayer. The body of Christ was also a loving family that helped take care of one another. When somebody was in need, other people would bring finances or whatever to help meet the need. So let me say that again real quick. They made God's house a house of prayer. They were unified, and they were a loving family that took care of one another. Also, evangelism and missions were a major emphasis. They had a huge emphasis on getting out to the lost and evangelizing. You can see it, for example, in the life of Philip. And supernatural power, the power of God, the presence of God was common in the early church. They even saw angels appearing. Peter was in jail, shackled, guards everywhere. Middle of the night, an angel shows up. All of his shackles fall off. The angel, you know, nudges him on the side. Probably walked up to Peter's game, a little swift kick. You know, Peter jolts, looks up. There's a big angel there. All of his shackles fall off, and the angel just looks at him. Come on. And as, as they're going through there, the guards are sound asleep. The angel just kept him asleep, you know. Snore, you know, they're just going through it. Waves his hand, the doors are opening. Next thing you know, Peter's thinking the whole time that he's asleep and dreaming this, you know. And then, and then he's out, and he's free, and he realizes, you know, hey, I, this, is, this actually happened, guys. So he runs back to tell everybody, and they, they, they wouldn't open the door for him at first. <laughs> but the angels of the Lord were active. My point is there was supernatural power, and they were, there was even angelic activity. And this wasn't something that was a huge thing. They, they were used to reading about this and these things going on in their history in Israel. And so anyway, the power of God sweeping in a harvest of souls, this was normal. But also, unfortunately, what was normal was, was persecution. We want Book of Acts Christianity, but there's also a level of persecution that goes along with it. All right. I believe, and this is what I want to close with and pray right here. I believe with all my heart that we are at a very similar time as what the early church was. And let me explain what I mean. The early church, Jesus himself told them, guys, go wait in Jerusalem. Not many days from now, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But don't do anything until you are. You need to stay there, go there. I'm going to send the promise of my Father. I'm going to send the Spirit. 
they had a promise of a visitation to come. And so what do they do? They go back to Jerusalem and they're together in one accord. And they begin to pray and believe God and the Holy Spirit came. In the similar way, here we are today, right now. God has promised us here in America that we are at a point in time where there's a great revival, a great move of God to come. We have a promise. There's been too many credible prophetic people that have seen this. Let me say just real quick the prophecy of Dr. Cho. It would begin in Pensacola, move 50 miles west, but then the revival would go up the east coast, cross the nation, shoot up the west coast, and all of America be ablaze in the fires of revival. Now we've seen part of that, revi that, part of that prophecy come to pass. It started in Pensacola. It moved 50 miles west at the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival. Now we need to contend for the rest of that prophecy. And not only that, but Ruth Ward Heflin saw all of America blaze in the fires of revival. She was in Jerusalem. She had a vision. The Lord took her up in a vision. She saw America. It's like she was looking down on America. She saw all America was in this last day revival. And it was a blaze in the fires of revival. And Dallas, Texas was the hub of the revival. And she saw there was great miracles. There was miracles that were so powerful that even major news media were there and they would see the miracles through their camera. They were watching the miracles happen. It was so radical. We haven't seen these things fulfilled yet and the coming of the Lord is so near. You know, he could come this year, but I believe that if he doesn't, I believe that it is his will to fulfill these prophecies and to see a great revival in this nation, a great harvest of souls. So should the Lord tarry beyond 2015, I believe we've got a window of time where he's going to send revival and we're going to see a harvest of souls. But like the early church, we have a promise where Jesus is saying, seek me in prayer because I have a revival for you. I have a move of my spirit. I've promised it. The prophets have told you. We need to press into this promise and lay hold of it. That's going to be the only thing that is really truly going to be able to turn the tide in America is going to be a revival and we all know that and i'm not caught up with the secular nation about what happens look it's all being aligned for the antichrist right now guys you're just going to have to just realize end time prophecy is happening fast okay a lot of things are going on a lot of things we're not going to like to see and not just in america but all over the world because things are being aligned for the false prophet and the antichrist right now so i'm not overly caught up with the government per se I'm more caught up with, let's see the kingdom of God release in the earth, a great harvest of souls, a great revival, people made ready for Christ's coming. And, you know, God's in control of the bigger picture. But if anything is going to change the government, it's going to be revival in this nation. That's it. So that's what I want us to press into is this move of God. But it has to begin in us. It's got to begin in other people out there too. That It's got to begin, what I mean by that is, not so much like River of Life, but inside of us, there's got to be a desperate hunger for more of God. And what has concerned me, just saying this across the board, if, if this kind of hits home or whatever, let God deal with you tonight, but I've just seen such a lack of hunger in Dallas. I've seen people that had been powerfully touched in revival in times past. I knew them personally. I knew how they lived. 
I was friends with them, I hung out with them, that now most of these people are pretty dry and cold spiritually, and they're allowing things in their life they wouldn't have back then. I'm not saying they're in horrible, gross sin, going to burn in hell, but they've allowed a lot of compromises that they would not have done back then. And just the lack of hunger for God and, and, and just this desperation. You know, when, when people are truly hungry for God, they're going to be at the prayer meetings. They're going to be crying out. They're going to be, at, you know what I'm saying? They're going to be at church. when they're, they're hungry for his presence. They're desperate for God. And I'm not seeing enough of that right now in Dallas. I'm seeing a lot of people that are pretty comfortable where they're at. And they'll say, if you ask them if they're hungry, they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm hungry for God, you know. But they don't really show it. I don't think that they're as hungry as what they think they are. But I'm believing God to start putting a real desperation in people for more of him. A deep cry to God that there's a deep calling unto deep. There's something. And so what I want to do tonight, I believe tonight is going to be significant. I'm going to go ahead and shut down recordings real quickly because I don't want to say this on the recordings. It's just for people in-house. So I feel that tonight is very significant because... I personally have seen God showed me a vision of like a door like this opening and a shining figure coming in. Other people have seen fire coming in. I believe it's already here. I can feel it. But I believe God is wanting to increase his presence in River of Life starting tonight. It's like a whole nother thing, a whole new level of God's presence. And I believe I'm going to, we've done this before, but I felt tonight would be very significant. I'm going to have Brianna maybe to play something here in a moment but I love this because he's talking about being hungry for God he's talking about being desperate for God and they talk about send the fire and we're going to pray for people tonight and if God touches you y'all hear me especially some of the younger people that may not know about this but if God touches you and you do fall you need to stay there and soak in his presence and talk to him while you're down on the ground say Jesus Fill me with everything you have for me tonight. I want it. I'm hungry. Fill me up. I want everything you have for me. And stay there. Where a lot of people miss God is God will touch them. They hit the ground. And then they lay there for a few minutes. They start looking around. They get up and walk around. And they're not really getting everything that God had for them. So if God does touch you and put you down like that, there's a reason you're down there. How many knows there's a reason God does everything he does? There's a reason that God put you down there.